Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 7 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. The Sitka Assembly is considering capping the number of short-term rentals in Sitka, at least temporarily. When the group met last night, it voted to enact a moratorium on new short-term rental permits in residential zones for one year. Sponsors say it's only a first step toward protecting the availability of affordable housing in Sitka, where the number of legal short-term rentals has jumped in recent years. If enacted, the moratorium on new permits would extend from April 2022 to April 2023. Those who already have conditional use permits for short-term rentals would not be affected. The Assembly spent about an hour debating whether a moratorium is the right step or a misstep, ultimately voting 5-1 to one in favor with, with Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis opposed. But it's not finalized yet. The Assembly will consider it on final reading at its next regular meeting. We'll have more coverage of the Assembly's short-term rental discussion on Raven News tonight at 518. A Pelican fisherman has been ordered to pay $12,000 in fines plus applicable fisheries taxes for selling commercially caught salmon to charter clients without submitting fish tickets to the state. 67-year-old James Stephen Daniels entered into an agreement with the State Office of Special Prosecutions and pleaded guilty to three counts each of failing to attain a fisheries business license and failing to submit fish tickets over a three-year period between 2018 and 2020. Daniels was fined a total of $30,000 with $18,000 suspended and placed on probation for two years. The charges stem from an investigation into Daniel's operation of the commercial troll vessel F.V. Pelican on trips to provide salmon to clients of the Highliner Lodge in Pelican, about 70 miles west of Juneau on Chichikov Island. Daniels was originally charged with 13 counts of failing to obtain a fisheries business license and for reporting the fish sold as, quote, for personal use. As part of his plea agreement, all but six counts against Daniels were dropped, as well as charges in a later case. The Alaska Marine Highway System says it's resuming ferry links to Prince Rupert, British Columbia this summer for the first time since 2019. The state ferry system announced Monday that reservations are now open for the roughly 110-mile route connecting Ketchikan and the North American road system from June through September. The last ferry between Alaska and Canada on the route sailed more than two years ago. That's when a dispute over whether U.S. border guards would be allowed to carry sidearms on Canadian soil led authorities to pause sailings. Then the pandemic hit, and Canada closed its border to all but essential travel. But now a U.S.-Canada agreement now allows U.S. border agents to be armed, and the Canadian border has reopened to visitors. The ferry system's general manager told Coast Alaska last September that he hoped sailings between southeast Alaska and northern B.C. would resume on May 1st. The first voyage from Ketchikan to Prince Rupert is set for June 20th, with the return trip the following day. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has been going on for nearly two weeks. Over a million refugees have fled the country. Two women in Petersburg are keeping a close watch as their family and friends are there. At the same time, they're helping to educate their American neighbors about the situation. Angela Denning reports. 
When Oksana Tokachova first heard of the war, she thought of her older sister. She's a teacher in Kyiv, Ukraine's capital of three million people. It's scary. It's scary. She says, sometimes I'm panicking inside. Tokacheva talks to her sister and others in Ukraine every day. Everything is closed. I mean, normal life stopped, and it's just sounds of bombing, of siren. Her sister spent a few days in the nearest shelter, which is a subway, but mostly she's been at home. Tokachova says her family goes to bed every night fully dressed, ready to leave at a moment's notice. She has another relative living close to the northern border who has blankets on all of her windows after they were blown out by explosions. And it's cold winter weather there. Tolkachova has been in southeast Alaska for five years after marrying a Petersburg man, Jeff Hupp. She works at the elementary school and spends her summers back in Ukraine. She says people in Petersburg have been kind, approaching her about how they can help. They bring her flowers at work and at home, and she's very grateful. One special ally is Ola Richards. Ukrainians were a huge part of my life when I was growing up in Poland. Richards grew up in Chelm, about 20 miles from Ukraine. She'd regularly cross the border, shopping with her friends to buy clothes or other goods. That was when Richards was older, after Poland was liberated in 1989. The country was communist when she was young. She only remembers a few things, like everyone had jobs, but there was little to buy. We didn't have options like we have now. Like, I remember standing for hours with my mom being a kid for toilet paper. Like, can you imagine? And now people are, like, freaking out during COVID and buying toilet paper, which we didn't have toilet paper. She heard a lot about how things used to be from her grandparents, the destruction of World War II, followed by Russian influences. Just my family talking about those times, like, they were unhappy. They wanted them out. They wanted to be their own people. Tolkachova has relatives in Russia. Her brother-in-law is from there, and she speaks the language. But she doesn't trust Russian President Vladimir Putin, or what he says, like he's saving the Ukrainians from Nazi leadership. Richards doesn't buy it either. So it looks like he's really working his propaganda and controlling the media, spreading basically lies. Lies, lies. It's only like, it's lies. But it's not that simple. Some do believe Putin, like Tolkachova's family member who listens only to Russia's state media. She and Richard say it's not their fault. They also feel sorry for the Russian soldiers who are young. You can't even imagine how powerful Russian government is. It's not that easy to just go and face the government in Russia. It's dangerous for them. So I think like some people don't understand. Some people are protesting and some people maybe understand, but they are afraid to do anything. And I don't blame them. Yeah. Americans also don't always get it. In rural Alaska, people can't imagine a life without guns. But that's just how it is over there. Back in Poland, we don't have access to guns. Like We don't. Okay. And this is what is not good right now because it's not enough mm-hmm. guns now. People don't have guns yeah, to some... fight. People are ready to fight, but they don't have guns. Exactly. So like someone the other day asked me, it's like, well, what, like, just get your guns, you know, and, and fight. And I'm like, in Poland, we don't have guns. Being so far away is hard, but Tokachova brightens up when she thinks of all the Ukrainians coming together to fight. People are united so much. They have such a spirit right now. Even those who are quarreling 
on different topics or whatever, they are just united now. The future is uncertain. Tokachova has tickets for Ukraine for the end of May, but that's up in the air. In the meantime, she and Richards hope their family and friends stay safe, and the end of the war comes soon. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. The multi-year drought that hit southeast Alaska before the pandemic continues to be studied by researchers at the University of Alaska. They say their work is a tool to prepare for the next drought. KTOO's Claire Strimple reports. In 2019, extreme drought was recorded for the first time in southeast Alaska. Rick Toman is a climate specialist at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. He says it's hard to gauge drought in one of the wettest places in North America. Drought is relative. Um, at, at no point did Southeast look like what people often think of as drought, you know, a, a dried up Kansas cornfield. Much of Southeast Alaska is a temperate rainforest. Ketchikan has about five times the average rainfall as the rest of the state, up to 160 inches a year. Um, Southeast Alaska is built for lots of precipitation. And so even though 100 inches of precipitation in a year in most places in the United States would be an immense amount of precipitation, in southern southeast it isn't. And so it had impacts to people, to the whole ecosystem. For example, many southeast communities rely on hydropower for electricity. In 2019, Ketchikan had to run on backup diesel generators for months. By one estimate, it cost more than a million dollars. Petersburg and Wrangell burned diesel, too. Toman said the warmer temperatures from climate change made this drought more severe. Heat threatened salmon hatcheries in Juneau. The berry season was sparse. An insect called the hemlock sawfly took advantage of dry summers to eat the needles off of half a million acres of trees in the Tongass. So a group of scientists called the Southeast Alaska Drought Project documented and analyzed what happened. Toman says their work on the 2016 to 2019 drought will be an important one-stop resource for Southeast communities when the next one hits. They're releasing their findings on a characteristically wet year. Right now, no one in Southeast is thinking about drought. But we know it's going to happen again. And we know, we just have lived through, how impactful it can be. He says it's also important to put this particular drought in context. Andrew Hoyle studies hydroclimates across the globe for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So droughts of this kind have happened in the past. It's just a drought like this hadn't happened in our society as we see it today. The population had grown accustomed to getting that normal delivery of precip, and then it got dry, and then the impacts were pretty profound. So profound, in fact, that the United States Department of Agriculture redefined drought metrics for the region in 2019. The researchers say more droughts are coming, but maybe fewer and further between.